Good morning, Center Point Church. How are we doing? All right. Well, my name is Chris Finch, and I serve here as the executive pastor, and we're excited that you're here. Whether you're somebody who is kind of skeptical of church, and maybe somebody invited you, you have questions about faith, or maybe you're here and you're looking for a place to plug in, you're a longtime follower of Christ, we are so thankful that you're here, and we're actually starting a brand new series today called People of the Fine Print, and so this is a great time to kind of jump in. Uh, as we begin the month of February with this, with this new series, and we move, we're going to be moving through it over the next three weeks. Uh, the month of February is an exciting month, and, and you know this, there's a couple days in the month of February where we celebrate love. So we have today where we celebrate love for our favorite sport, and uh, you know that. Some of you, you've already got your plans for tonight. And uh, some of you are so excited about the teams that are going to be in it tonight. Some of you have a Tom Brady poster on your wall and you throw darts at it. And so we kind of know what your, your thoughts are. Uh, and so tonight is a night that, that uh, a lot of people will gather around TVs in different places and, and uh, be excited about the game. And then after the, the game tonight, that's really what a lot of you are going to be staying up for and uh, it's for those of you that are into This Is Us, your heart, you're not even sure how to feel about what's going to happen tonight, but you already know what's going to happen. That's why you don't know kind of how to feel. And tonight's the night. I think Jack's uh, taking, I think it's, it's going to be all over for our boy. If you haven't watched This Is Us, don't start. Um, and you will have less drama in your house. And, you know, I'm just kidding. You'll eat less chocolate. It'll just be better. But obviously we have, we have Super Bowl Sunday, but then the big day that uh, is in the month of February, and if you already don't have it on your calendar, please put it on your calendar, uh, especially if you want it to be a good day, uh, is February 14th, and, and you can walk into any of the, the local supermarkets, different stores, and when all the Christmas stuff came down, all of the Valentine's Day went, stuff went up, and, and uh, people will be buying chocolates that... Most of them don't taste very good, but you'll buy them anyway. Uh, people will buy flowers. People will uh, make reservations for dinner. Uh, you might buy perfume. And, and you'll, buy, you'll probably spend a ton of money uh, to make up for some things that you said or didn't say you know, a few weeks back. Not, hopefully not. Hopefully it's just a good day for you. But, but you'll spend money and you'll buy things. And, and it's a great day to do that. You might hopefully, hopefully at least you'll buy a card uh, for your significant other. And, and we enjoy doing those types of things. We enjoy feeling loved. I mean, we obviously enjoy, man, glad that people love us, enjoy getting, getting things from those people that love us, but we enjoy giving to those we loved. I mean, you know this, you, you enjoy watching your kids open presents on Christmas morning much more than you enjoy what you're going to open. And Valentine's Day is, is one of those times, man, where you're excited to, to get something for the person that is very special in your life or that you are hoping is going to be very special in your life. And, and so it's a, it's a big day where we focus in on love. And as you think about the scriptures, the scriptures is full of different passages about love. Whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're not, you probably, if you're married, had some type of scripture read at your wedding. You might not have known it was scripture, but probably there were some portions of even your wedding ceremony that there was some, some verses and, and phrases from scripture that were in because the, the Bible has a lot of different 
uh, parts of it that focus on love. You have narratives that, that focus on love. We're going to talk about one of those today. You have, uh, you have wisdom literature. You have poetry. You have the words of Jesus. All different types of words and material right in Scripture. But probably outside of the fact that Jesus came to earth to save us and, and just the love that he showed to us by doing that, probably the greatest story that you may have never heard about in the scriptures that really captures what love is to an incredible degree is the story we're going to look at today, the story of Hosea. And Hosea is, is a book in the Bible that's, that's kind of back in that first half of your Bible, and, and you probably haven't flipped through that passage of Scripture. You may not have had, heard anybody talk about Hosea uh, in several years, and, and if you've even been in church all your life, you don't hear Hosea talked about a lot. But Hosea is an incredible story that we believe is a real story about real people, and there's two main characters in the book of Hosea. There's Hosea, the prophet, and then there is Gomer, the prostitute. And the story of Hosea is one of those stories that if they were to make a movie out of it, you probably wouldn't let your kids go see this movie. Because this, this movie, there's some parts of this, this story that, that are, as you just imagine in your mind's eye, that are just incredible. And the length that Hosea goes to love Gomer is, is beyond what we can imagine. But the story of Hosea, though it's about two real people and it represents so much, it's really bigger than just a story. And here's what I mean. The story of Hosea represents a story much bigger than even the actual story. And, and here's what the, the kind of the whole idea and the real reality of the story of Hosea is kind of comes down to this one phrase and it's simply this, God is crazy about his kids. You say, so prostitute, prophet, how do you get that? You're going to see. The story of Hosea is, is about two people, and you're going to hear about it, but at the end of the day, this story represents something much bigger than the story itself, and it's a fact that God is crazy about his kids. For some of you, you grew up with a parent that was crazy about you. Some of your most embarrassing moments in your life are because your mom or dad is crazy about you. If you've ever had a mom or dad get kicked out of a t-ball game because they wanted to beat up the umpire, you understand what I'm talking about. When I was growing up, my mom and dad, I had several stories to choose from, uh, where, where my mom and dad did different things to just because they loved us and they're crazy about us, but man, some of the things they did it were they have scarred me for life, and you'll understand here in a second. My mom, and again, I had several things. To, so if you want to hear more stories, I can tell you later. My mom, she, when I was about 8, 10 years old, my mom, you remember that show, America's Most Wanted? That, that as a little kid, you, were, you wanted to watch it, but then you didn't sleep that night because you were afraid of it. And it, it, after you got done watching it, you felt like there was definitely someone outside your window going to kidnap you that night. And so my mom watched it and felt the same way. And so my mom, what she would do when I was a real little kid is when we would go to a public place and I would hold it as long as I possibly could. But eventually, if I had to go to the bathroom, if I was like four or five years old, 
And I didn't think much of it then. I would, you know, go with my mom to the ladies' bathroom. All right, no big deal. Nobody's going to kidnap you, at least not when you're with your mom, at least not my mom, because she would kill you. Uh, so, so that was no problem. Not, I wasn't scarred for life by that. That was normal. You probably did that. You probably do that with your preschoolers now even. But when you're 8 years old, when you're 10 years old, and, and, and you, it, it, my mom didn't make me go to the ladies' bathroom. She did something much worse. So she said, I'll let you go to the boys' bathroom. But while you're in there, you have to sing the whole time you're in there. And you can't sing quietly because here's the bottom line. You can go in there and go to the bathroom, and I'm going to stand at the door and listen. And if I hear you stop singing, I'm coming in. I mean, you you think about it. You laugh now, but you think about being a 10-year-old boy. And you're going into the, the dude's bathroom, and you're, you know, walking up to the urinal, and you got the guy next to you, and you're sitting there singing, Jesus loves, I mean, and he, you don't look at each other when you're at urinal, I mean, that's just like a, a rule, you don't do that, but this guy's like, and, and the reason I would sing, it was like, is this more embarrassing, or would it be more embarrassing if my mom barged in? They would both be embarrassed, but, but that's what my mom would do. And so you can see, and maybe you have some stories like that, Matt, where you, or maybe you're, you are that parent to your kids. Maybe my kids are like, yeah, that's my dad too. Uh, but, but parents are crazy about their kids, and they go to great lengths to show that. But much greater than how crazy the craziest parent is about their kids, God takes it to a whole nother level. See, He loves his kids so much that he will go to great lengths to pursue a right relationship with them. Few places in scripture illustrate this better than the book of Hosea. Hosea was a guy, he was a prophet, and a prophet is simply somebody who is a mouthpiece for God. He's the guy that God chooses to kind of share the messages God has with his people. And so Hosea lived about 750 years before Jesus walked the earth. Hosea was following another prophet by the, by the name of Amos. And Israel at this time, the, the country that, that Hosea was living in and the country that, that God was using him to share his messages was actually split up into two parts. There was a northern part and there was a southern part. And during this time, Israel was fairly prosperous. Economically, they were doing well. But while they were doing well economically, they were bankrupt spiritually. Because they had chosen to leave their true God, the God that had had led them out of Egypt. That was their God. And they, they chose to leave him and to pursue idols or false gods. And their, their false god of choice during this time period was Baal. Baal was to them what they thought he was the storm and fertility god. And that was the god that they had chosen to worship. Which for them made sense. Because to them, they were farmers. To them, there were two things that made their their life okay. Like today, what makes you maybe okay is if you have some money in the bank, if you have a nice house. You say, okay, I'm okay. Well, to them, there was a couple things. There was people. So if they had a big family, that was really good because that meant they had people to help work on their farm. That meant there would be soldiers for the army. That meant they had family. And so, man... uh, worshiping the fertility god that made sense but then crops were also what made them okay because crops were their income it was their food source and so they didn't worship Baal 
because they loved Baal. They worshiped Baal because they needed Baal to produce fertility for them so that they would be okay. See, they worshiped Baal out of convenience, not out of love. See, they, they had it all wrong, and in their mind, God was somebody that they had to appease and keep happy so he would produce for them, so he would bless them, so he wouldn't judge them. Maybe you're here this morning and say, if I'm honest, that's kind of how I see God sometimes. I wouldn't maybe say that out loud, but there's times in my life where I kind of see God the same way, where I'm trying to kind of keep him happy. I'm trying to kind of appease him. So if, if I do good and if I do the right things, that maybe he'll make my life okay. And, and if I really do a good job, maybe he'll actually bless me. And that's exactly what the people of Israel thought. They had left a God that loved them, a God that would pursue them, that promised to protect and provide for them, to pursue a false God that could not produce any of the things they greatly wanted in their life. Yet they pursued them. They did not understand and, and the reality of a God who loved them for them and pursued them because of that love. They didn't get it. And so in the midst of this nation of Israel that was now pursuing another God, God comes to Hosea and says, Hosea, your life is going to be a living representation of the unfaithfulness of this nation Israel. And so God comes to Hosea in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 and he asked him to do something that was unheard of especially for a prophet of God. Look with me, it'll be up on the screen. It says this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, "Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her." For like an adulterous wife, this land, Israel, is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Basically, what God was saying to Hosea is this. God told Hosea to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him. Hosea, I want you to go. I want you to marry this woman, Gomer. And when she does her vows at your marriage ceremony, don't believe a word she says because she will be unfaithful to you. But I want you to marry her. I mean, think about being Hosea. He's like, excuse me? Like, do you, you realize my job? Like, I'm your prophet. I'm the respected man of God in the community. Even people that don't listen to me, they know I, I shouldn't be marrying somebody like this. You, you got the wrong guy. But God, God reminds Hosea that your marriage to an unfaithful wife is going to be a living illustration of the unfaithfulness of Israel and my pursuit of the nation. So Hosea, he does what God says. Look at verse 3. It says this. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. So he obeyed. And, and early on, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a honeymoon baby, I don't know, but pretty early on, Gomer was pregnant. And I don't know, I don't think, that obviously they didn't have Facebook, it didn't probably have like a gender reveal party, but it was probably pretty exciting, man. It was a uh, new baby, things seemed to have started off, you know, fairly well. And so they, they have a little boy, and, and then before you know it, 
Gomer gets pregnant again, and now they have a little girl. And then, not long after that, they have another son. And so, man, life's good. The, pick, the white picket fence is around the house. Three kids seems to be going well. But then, at some point, things started to kind of go south. And I don't know if it happened all at once or if it was something that, that Hosea, as he saw Gomer, as he, if he saw her just kind of move away and just slowly kind of get away from the family. But at some point in this story, Hosea woke up and looked next to him and the wife that he loved, the, the woman who was the, the mother of his three children, was no longer next to him. And I don't know if he got up out of bed that morning and just hoping that she was in another room, kind of called her name. I don't know if he went outside and maybe she went on a walk, but probably pretty quickly, Hosea realized that the wife that I love, the mother to my children, has left us for a life of prostitution. And, and I try to put myself in Hosea's shoes and, and just, we don't know how old these kids were, but what we think, they're you know, not super old. I mean, at some point, maybe, maybe a couple of days go by and you can kind of skirt the question, where's mom? But at some point, you have to sit down with those three babies and you have to tell them that your mom chose to be a prostitute other than being your mother and my wife. Your mom is gone and we don't expect her to come back. Imagine the hurt. Imagine what it must have been like to be Hosea, a prophet of God, whose his whole life is about being obedient to God, saying what God wanted him to say, and yet he wakes up one morning and his wife has left him for a life as a prostitute. And now this prophet of God is a single dad with three little kids. And, and he, I don't know, did people talk? It had to be embarrassing. I mean, when you, when you see Hosea, I mean, first of all, they, you probably were like, dude, did you, when he got married to Gomer, you're like, dude, you remember, you, you remember what she was like in high school? I don't know if you should marry. That's not really the type of girl that you should marry. But okay, you got married, you got a couple, three kids, things seem to be going well, but now she's left. How embarrassing. I mean, not only what, did it hurt him deeply, but it had to be embarrassing to know that my wife, has left to become a prostitute, to become a slave. Like, was it that bad that you would leave us for that? But yet that was the reality of Hosea's life. And the events of Hosea's life were a vivid picture of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. See, God had made a covenant to Israel just like Hosea and Gomer had made a covenant in marriage. A, a promise of faithfulness. See, God's promise to them in his covenant was simply this. If they would trust and obey God, he would provide, protect, and bless them greatly. God promised that. He reminded them of his covenant several times. But yet, instead of remaining faithful, Israel didn't believe God and sought what only God could truly give in other places. They didn't believe. They didn't believe that God would do what he said he would do and that he was who he said he was. And so when God said, I will provide, I will protect, I will bless you, 
You don't even have to do it. I'm going to take care of you. You just have to believe me. You just have to believe me and trust me and just do what I ask you to do, and I'm going to take care of you. These, these people in Israel, and, and lest we get too critical of them, don't we do the same thing? Like, I don't know about you, but there's times in my life that I think, you know what? And I, I might not say this out loud, but obviously lifestyle shows it, that you sometimes think that, you know what? My idea is better than God's. I know God said this, I know he promised this, but he doesn't know my situation, and so I'm going to kind of do my own thing in this area because I don't trust what he says is true, and I'm going to do my own thing, and has that ever worked out? And it didn't work out for Israel either. And so Hosea chapter 2, you come to a spot where literally the people of Israel, the blessings that God had allowed in their life, not only were they worshiping idols, but they were saying that the blessings that God had given them, they were saying that the idols had given them. And so look at, look at Hebrew, or, uh, Hosea chapter 2, verse 8. It says, she has not acknowledged that I was the one that gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. And so these people of Israel, they had gone their own way, done their own thing, and God allowed some blessing in their life, even in the midst of their disobedience, and they basically attributed those blessings to a false god. And so the chapter 2 of Hosea is basically God removing those things from their life. He removes the blessings. He removes the prosperity. He removes the crops. He makes it harder for them. He removes the, the party stop. The celebration stop. And you say, man, what a cruel God. He's saying, no, 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 no. I have something so much better. And so I've got to stop these things. I have to discipline them to bring them back so that they can have what is much more fulfilling, what is much better. And see, this, this picture of Israel is exactly what Hosea must have been feeling. I mean, there had to be a time that he, maybe on a daily basis, that he would sit there and think, you know what? Why did she leave a loving, committed family for a life that will ultimately destroy her? What was she thinking? And then God came to Hosea. And I don't know how long this was, if this was a few weeks, if this was a few years, I don't know how long, but at some point God came to Hosea and said, I got another assignment for you. He says, I want you to go get your wife. So, so look what he says in, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, which were used in idol worship. So basically, God comes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, I want you to go down to the red light district. I want you to go to the part of town that you've never been in. I want you to go and I want you to find your wife. I want you to buy her off the slave trade and I want you to renew your vows to her. Are you, are you kidding me? 
Like, Lord, I've never even been in that part of town. I wouldn't even know where to look. But Hosea obeys. And so imagine this. Imagine Hosea, this, this prophet of God that is now a single father that's doing his very best taking care of these three kids that has literally been left and his, his wife has pursued and chosen a, the life of a sex slave. And he goes to the red light district, the part of the, the town that, that he would never ever go to. And he doesn't know where his wife is. And I don't know if, if he had to ask around. Maybe he, he had to go up, man, have, dude, I, have you seen Gomer? I mean, were there guys that, that couldn't even look him in the eyes because they had been with his wife and they just kind of, yeah, dude, I think she's over there. At some point, he, he got directions and found out that, that she was over, whether it was a room, whether it was a house or somewhere where she was literally on the auction block. He got directions to where she was and he makes his way to where she is being sold as a sex slave. And I don't know if as he walked up to the building and began to go in the door, if he could already hear the bidding before he even got in the door. And as he got in the door and literally just the stench of evil. And at some point he gets in the door and he looks up and his heart must have broke as he sees his wife literally being bid on. Did he have to bid against other dudes to like get his wife back? I don't know, but, but we know this. He paid to have his wife back. Look, look with me at what the scriptures say in, in the next couple of verses. It says this. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley, basically the price of a slave. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. So he buys his wife back. He bids to buy what was already his. And he, she may not even want to, I mean, she may not even wanted to go with him. But he bought her back. And then he looks at her and basically renews his covenant to her, though he hadn't broken his covenant. And then he, he buys her back and he's their family again. And then in the very next few verses, Hosea, the story of Hosea and Gomer, it, it broadens back to the greater reality. And Hosea, though he doesn't know who Jesus is, he knows Jesus is coming. He points to the ultimate rescuer. Look with me at what he says in verse 4. It says this, this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward... The people will return and devote themselves to the Lord, their God, and to David's descendant, King Jesus. And then I love this. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his anger. Now, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. See, the Bible says in another passage that it is God's kindness that leads us 
to repentance. And as Hosea, he doesn't even know totally who Jesus is, but he knows Jesus is coming. He knows it's going to be a descendant of David. He knows that the ultimate rescuer is going to come. And in, in, in a way that, that he couldn't even put all the pieces together himself, the story of Hosea points to God's ultimate demonstration of love. See, like Israel, we look for provision, protection, satisfaction in places that don't give that to us, but we still pursue it, just like Israel. And there was a point sometime in eternity past that God the Father came to God the Son and said, they're pursuing things that are going to destroy them. Go and buy them back. And we believe that the Bible tells us, and Nicole even shared this verse a little bit earlier, that in John chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says this, For God so loved the world. That he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. Then there's another passage in scripture written by a man by the name of Paul who understood very clearly what it was like to be a slave to sin. He understood that. He had actually been a part of killing Christians. He knew what that was like. He knew what it was like to pursue things that did not bring hope. And once he met Jesus and was just released from his slavery to sin, his slavery to his past, Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He said this, But God demonstrates his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, whether we like it or not, we are born in slavery. You're like, what? Now here's what I mean. We were born as slaves to sin. You say, ah, I might have to push back on that. Let me ask you this. Did you have to teach your two-year-old to lie? <laughs> did, did anybody have to take your kindergartner to a seminar and teach him how to be selfish? Did anybody have to take us to a seminar and teach us how to be selfish? No. Why? Because there's something inside of us when we're born that is bent to selfishness, that is bent to get ours, that is bent to do whatever we can to make our life better, and it is called sin, and we are slaves to it before we even know and can say the word. See, in the story of Hosea, and I hope, hope uh, this isn't like new news to you, we're not Hosea in the story of Hosea. In the story of Hosea, we are Gomer. We are the ones that, that God said, I love you. I'll send my son to, to die for you, to take your place, to give you hope, to give you something that you can't get anywhere else. And we said, thanks, but no thanks. I want to make sure it's still there for me, God, but, but I, I know it's not going to go anywhere, but I'm going to pursue some of my own deal and I'm going to see if I can get a better deal for myself over here than what I can get with you. Because I might be able to do better for myself. And we've been over here trying to do better for ourselves. And that hadn't worked out real well. A couple marriages later, a couple broken homes, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, some bankruptcy, some financial issues, some hurt feelings, some broken relationships, some addictions later. 
It hadn't worked out well. It's because we left the loving Heavenly Father who loves us so much He's willing to pursue us at the cost of His own Son's life. See, God loved us so much that we believe, we really believe that Jesus, God's Son, came to earth. He lived a sinless life. And at the age of 33, not just because the Bible says it, but because we can prove it in history, Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was bloodied. And on that cross, he died, not for his own sin, but for mine, for yours. They took his body off that cross, and we know from history that after they put his body in the tomb, that three days later he rose from the grave because there are documents in history that say people saw him alive. And, and he didn't do that just because he was trying to, you know, just be a, be a hero, just to be written about. He didn't leave heaven to come to earth just because he wanted to show us what, what love looked like. He, he came here on a rescue mission. He came here to seek and to save the people like you and me that were on the auction block of sin. He came and bought us back with his own life. He paid our price just like Hosea paid to have Gomer back. See, I started with this phrase, and, and, and hopefully from the story of Hosea, you can see it a little bit more clearly. God is crazy about you. Like God, he will go to great lengths to pursue a relationship with you. He loves you so much and is willing to go to great lengths to pursue a relationship with you when you're running from him. It's not like we're running towards God and we meet in the middle. We are pursuing our own thing. We're running away from him. We're giving him the finger, and yet he died for us so he could have a relationship with us. He loves us that much. See, God loves you. And if you're a follower of Christ, you're here this morning, and you'd say, Chris, I, there's been a time in my life when I have trusted Jesus as my Savior, where I have said, you know what, my pursuit is not what God wants for me. I have disobeyed God. I am a slave to my own pursuits, but I believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave to free me from all that, and I want a relationship with him. If you've already done that, then the story of Hosea should well up with inside you a gratefulness and a motivation that maybe you've never had before. See, 1 John 2 says it, or 1 John 4 says it this way. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Since God was willing to buy us back from slavery, since he was willing to give and to give and to give for us, we ought to love other people the same way. Because there's a lot more gomers out there. And we have hope. Not because of us, but because of our king. And we are to, as God has loved us so unselfishly and given, we are to love other people so unselfishly. And so our, the response, if you're a follower of Christ, should be one word, yes. 
Yes, God, I will go. Yes, God, I will love. Yes, God, and you fill in the blank. I will, I will do it not because I have to, not because I feel guilty, but I am so thankful to be rescued. I want to serve you. Yes. You might be here and you, you may be a person that is enslaved to something even right now. Maybe you're enslaved to pornography. Maybe you're enslaved to a relationship outside of marriage that nobody knows about. Maybe you're enslaved and you fill in the blank and you have been so afraid to come clean. The story of Hosea should give you the courage to come clean. And here's why. Because God loves you and he knows you. And he desperately wants a right relationship with you. That doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences, but that means when you turn from what you're trusting in and you turn from your own pursuits and turn to God, you're going to turn to a loving heavenly father that has been waiting for you to come back. And maybe today that's you if you're a follower of Christ. Or maybe today you say, Chris, I'm not a follower of Christ. I, somebody invited me to church. Maybe you grew up in church and, and uh, you're not sure quite, quite what you believe about this whole God thing. Well, here's what I'd, I'd love for you to remember this. The reason that you're here is because God wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he knows you and he loves you. He wants you to know that he knows your past. He wants you to know that, that he knows your failures. He, he wants you to know that, that all those things that, that maybe you don't want other people to know, he knows all those things, and yet he loves you deeply and wants a relationship with you. So much so that he was willing to send his son to buy you and me back. And so I, would, I, I wouldn't be doing my job, honestly, if I didn't say to you, today... You can have a relationship with Jesus. I want to have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes as we, we kind of close up this morning. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here and, and you're, you're that person that I was just talking to and, and somebody invited you and you're not even sure why you came, but, but I'm here to tell you the reason God has you here is he wants you to know that he loves you and that he wants a relationship with you. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, I get it, man. I get it. I, I understand that I have I've disobeyed God. I've sinned. I've, I've pursued my own thing. And yeah, it hadn't really worked out for me. I, I, I admit that. And Chris, I, I believe, I, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, I, I believe, I, I understand that. I know he did that for me. And, and today I want to start a relationship with him. If that's you, today could be your day. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you'd say, today I want to start a relationship with Jesus, just in the quietness of your heart, would you just admit to God that you've disobeyed him? Would you just tell him that you, you believe that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the dead? And then would you just give him an invitation? Would you just ask him? Jesus, I want to start a relationship with you. Would you save me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, as I, as I close up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that simple prayer. And if you're here this morning 
and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, would you just in the quietness of your heart just say something like this to God, understanding that the prayer doesn't save you. What saves you is what you believe in your heart, and we just tell God what we believe in our heart through prayer. Just in your heart, dear God, I admit I've disobeyed you. God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sin and raise from the dead. Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. I want to start a relationship with you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking around. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, this morning I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. Would you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you, but you'd just say, you just say, I, I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. Anybody else? Just keep your hand up. We're going to put a card. going to drop a card. And then we're going to put a card in your hand, and that card, you can take that card, fill out as much information as you feel comfortable filling out, and then you could take that to Connect Point, and we just want to give you a Bible, give you some information about your new relationship with Jesus. We're not going to embarrass you. We don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. We just want to connect with you there. Anybody else? You just say, Chris, today I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. Just slip up your hand. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the story of Hosea and how this real-life story is such an illustration of your great love and pursuit of us. Lord, I pray that you would now, as followers of you, that you would use what we've talked about today to motivate us to love people the way you loved us. And Lord, I pray as we go out into Uh, our workplaces and we go to our schools and and we come across people that were just like us. Lord, I pray that we would faithfully share you with them. In Jesus' name, amen.